So, um, at the, can I risk today just being, um, if you were here last week, being a little redundant? Um, the reason I'm saying this is because, uh, have you ever said something and been totally misunderstood? <laughs> Most of the feedback I got from last week, that was the case. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to try and come at this again. But I get it. I, I understand it because I'm dealing, I'm reversing something that is deeply embedded in Western collective consciousness. Western collective consciousness. And that's sort of, uh, I'm, I'm flipping, I'm flipping it on its head. So in other words, we think it's one way and I'm coming in and saying, no, it's absolutely the other way. And that creates a lot of cognitive dissonance and a lot of discomfort and it pushes a lot of, uh, hits a lot of triggers for people. Um, but still, it's, it's, it's the path I'm, I'm on right now. So <laughs> it just is what it is. So we're going to try this again, okay? Um, so if, if you're biblically oriented, and I know a lot of people aren't, but I still think there's value in addressing this for a number of reasons because, um, again, it's embedded in Western consciousness. And one of the things, when you get, when you can see this, this will bring a level of freedom and empowerment to your life, I think, that will really help you, but also open up a whole new vista of opportunities and possibilities for you to try things spiritually that previously were off limits or had no trespassing signs because they were, quote unquote, of the devil. Now, if you never, like, got brainwashed in this way, <laughs> and you had freedom to pursue whatever your heart was drawn to in terms of spiritual things, surely you have a relative somewhere, somebody in your family, a neighbor, a friend, who thinks that you have demons. Am I right? So that's who I'm trying to talk to. And then for the rest of you, like if you don't fit into that at all, I still think this is going to be incredibly powerful for you. Okay? So let me start out by saying this. And I'm going to use some terminology. Um, how many of you know that there's, there's a million different ways to get something done? Just pick anything. Let's let's take managing an office. Let's say that you get a position as a manager or you're working under a manager. Everybody can kind of relate to being in one of those positions, right? There's a million different ways to do it. Some people micromanage and get good results. They may piss people off in the process. I don't like to be micromanaged. Um, I don't know about, you know, maybe some of you do. There are some people who like to be micromanaged that have high certainty needs and they want to be sure they're doing it exactly right, and so that's good. Um, other people maybe are too aloof. Uh, they don't hold enough accountability. But, but regardless, you can get the job done many different ways. There isn't just one right way to do it. Can we agree on that? Yeah. Now, when you're talking about something as expansive as God or as expansive as your spirituality or your spiritual expression, is it then possible that there could be more than one way to get there. Now I know for evangelicals that triggers you because Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? 
And I, I don't even want to deal with that today. I just want to talk about, in general, what I want to call two different paths. And for those of you that come from a Christian background, you can find this if you do an in-depth study on Christian mysticism. But there are two diff- different paths that you can take spiritually that I think ultimately probably get you the same place. One is a form of nihilism, and we're going to call it the right-hand path. <laughs> uh, I, f- I forget the Christian mystical term for it, but it's Latin for the negative way, the way of negation. Now, not negative in terms of bad, okay? Negative in the terms of negation. So here's where it begins. However you identify God, whatever you identify God as, the moment you say that, you have defined what God is not because you have limited God and God is limitless. So, for example, in the Christian tradition, you have God the Father, but the moment you say God the Father, you cut off the divine feminine. So by trying to identify what God is, you've made God less than what God is. Does that make sense? They would say the same thing with yourself. The moment you identify yourself as something, you have made yourself less than who you are. Which is why in a lot of spiritual circles you hear people talking about the I am presence because they don't finish the sentence. Because the moment you finish the sentence, you've limited yourself. You tracking? So what the right-hand path says, or the way of negation says, the only way you can come to fullness, the only way you can come to no union with God, is by not trying to define what or who God is, but trying to define and let go of what or who God is not. Give you a second to process that. Right? So it's this letting go of the mind. It's this letting go of labels. It's this letting go of concepts. And when you can completely let go of the mind and labels and concepts, then you've reached your goal. Now this group also talks a lot about the ego. Now ego is a tough term, especially for me. Um, Because unless you have maybe a psychology background, you're you're probably not hearing the word ego the way that I'm using the term ego. Because for a lot of people, what does ego mean? It it means somebody who's full of themselves, somebody who's proud, somebody who's always talking about themselves. I mean, and this is one of the problems that we have in our culture. Like, Like people are actually afraid to affirm themselves or feel good about themselves because they're afraid it's going to make them egotistical. So when I use the term ego, that's what some people hear. Right? Now, if I were going to talk about that kind of person, I would use a clinical term, because that's my background, and I would call them a narcissist. (laughs) Or or narcissistic, at least. You know the story of Narcissus? He looked in the pool of water and fell in love with his own image and just kind of stayed there. (laughs) Right? So for me, that's narcissism. Not ego. So that's probably the more cultural understanding, though, of the term ego, right? For people in the spiritual community, the term ego is your personality. Any, really, your self-concept. 
It's the thing, it's, it's, it's your sense of separateness that prevents you from understanding that you are one with all things. That's more of an Eastern view of what the ego is. Got it? When I'm talking about ego, I'm talking about your self-concept, your sense of self. Now, the right-hand path says you negate everything. You, you, you detach from everything. You detach from the world. You detach from your emotional triggers. You even detach from your ego, the way they use it, <laughs> or the way I'm using it, your sense of self. Not your pride or your narcissism, but your sense of self. You tracking with me? And so the goal is then to sort of just negate everything, everything about yourself. Every, you get in that, it's this emptying kind of thing. So that's what you might call the right-hand path. Now, one of the errors I think that people get into With that is it becomes extremely dehumanizing. It's trying to be something other than human. Because what can happen over here is we want to be just light. We want to be just unconditional love. We want to be just all these things. And it's the same trap that Christians fall into when they're trying to crucify their flesh because it's still based on judgment. If you're trying to be all light, then you're saying there's no value in anything that's in the darkness. And for those of you that need a verse, in Isaiah 45, I think, God says, I will give you the treasures of darkness. Are you breathing? Is this okay? So that's the right-hand path. And I think the error in the ditch it leads into is denial. <laughs> because as long as we're, we're in a world of polarity to experience polarity and find the balance, that's what I think. We've got all the rest of whatever we become spiritually after we die, eternity, whatever, to whatever. Just not experience polarities. Make sense? There is another spiritual path that we would call the left-hand path, which I think appeals more to Westerners probably, because it is more a pathway of self-actualization. To actualize or free or liberate your deepest, truest, most authentic self. Now here's the problem with trying to get rid of your ego. Even if you understand yourself as being one with God and one with all things. That very understanding is a sense of self and is therefore an ego. Do you see it? So they're saying, my goal is to get rid of my ego so I can sense myself as one with all things. I can sense myself as one with God. But as long as you're sensing yourself... You have a self-concept, which is an ego. And I'm going to tell you right now, for most people, this path is mission impossible. 
I tried it for a lot of years. I and and the other thing is it passes a judgment on ego. Ego is bad. And I want to say no. Ego is healthy. <laughs> you want to have a strong ego. You want to have a healthy ego. You want to have a liberated ego. And by that I mean you want your sense of self to be liberated. And one of the beauties of of Christian of the Christian understanding of God is and 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 the guys that formulated the understanding of the Trinity was if God is going to be love, then there must be someone to love. So if God in God's essence is love, then God in God's essence has to be more than one. Because love cannot exist where there is not another. So if we're on this path to become pure love, but we lose our ego, we cannot love because love requires two. Love requires one to give and one to receive. And reciprocate. So with no sense of separateness, there in actuality can be no love. Are you breathing? Y'all are looking at me like, what the heck did we come to this for today? So therefore they developed the concept of the Trinity that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit existed co substantially of the same substance for all eternity and experienced a love that they shared amongst themselves. Therefore, that was the only way they could really understand that God is love. So what I would like to promote or suggest is that we must maintain our I, our sense of self, and whatever union we experience is a union where self is not lost, but self is participating Freely with another. So what if, what if one, what if this left hand spiritual path is the ability to allow your spontaneous self to be fully liberated in expression without fear and without limiting it solely because of the judgments of other people or of society or whatever. And that maybe the highest expression of love is two people or two beings, if you want to include God, whatever, who have full, spontaneous openness and expression with each other and have that freedom. So the left-hand path is the path of liberating your deepest, highest, truest, and most authentic self. Thank you. <laughs> are you guys are you guys doing okay with this? Like I, I feel like I'm shoving bamboo shoots up your fingernails or something. Just just the way y'all are looking at me. So So with that in mind, let's come to Isaiah fourteen and try this again. Most of you know this. Verse 12, Isaiah 14, verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How are you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. Verse 13. For you said in your heart, I will ascend into the heavens. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I also will sit on the mount of the congregation on the 
on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you will be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now, traditionally, if I walk into any church in America today, probably, with very, very few exceptions that you could probably count on one hand, and I read that verse, who are people, whom are people thinking of? The devil, devil, yes, because we know Lucifer is the devil, right? So here's, so, so here's the concept that most people have of Lucifer. Lucifer, they believe, and, and they are right, is a proper name. I'm sorry, proper noun, it's a name of this angel that was the highest angel, right? Who did what? Who rebelled against God, or tried to overthrow God, And because he desired to overthrow God, God punished him by casting him out of heaven. This is the only passage in the Bible that talks about this. But it has become a major construct of our metaphysical map, our map of what exists outside the physical world, our understanding and the meaning that we give to things. Right? Now, it's so funny because one of the things I was taught in Bible school was you have to take everything in context. That's one of the things people get away. You know, you've got to keep it in its context. So for the literalists out there and the, and the Bible thumpers, I almost forgot to add the T. I did. I, I don't know where that came from, but I'm glad I caught myself before I... Just spit it out. Let's look at it in context. If you back up to verse 3, here's what's happening. It says, It shall come to pass in that day the Lord gives you rest from your sorrow and from your fear and the hard bondage which you were made to serve. Now, to whom is he talking? He's talking to Israel. So let's put it in the context of the passage and the context of where it's at historically. Can I do that for you really quick? Isaiah is speaking to Israel who is dealing and coming out of Babylonian captivity, a historical event. And he's giving them comfort. So when he's talking about their hard bondage in which they were made to serve, he's not referring to your spiritual problem or your drug addiction. Or your obsessive compulsive behavior, whatever it is. He's dealing with a historical people and a historical event. Are you breathing? That you will take up this proverb against the king of Babylon. So, first of all, the word proverb there means this is something that's more symbolic in nature. So right now we're being told to literally take the next passage more symbolic. But we're told who it's about. It's about who? The king of Babylon, who's a real person at that time. Right? How the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased, the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, he who struck the people in wrath with a continual stroke. Talking about the king of Babylon. He who ruled the nations in anger is persecuted and no one hinders. He can't be talking about a devil because there was no nations to rule. If he's in heaven, before he does all this stuff. The whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. Indeed, the cypress trees rejoice over you. And the cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were cut down, no woodsman has come up against us. 
Look at, he's using trees and he's saying, they're saying stuff, right? Hell from beneath is excited about you to meet you at your coming. It stirs up the dead for you, all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. They shall speak and say to you, have you also become as weak as we? Have you become like us? Your pomp brought down, is brought down to Sheol, or hell, and the sound of your stringed instruments, the maggot is spreading under you and worms over you. So he's talking about his physical body dying and being consumed. How you... Who's he talking to? The king of Babylon. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the earth. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, is this the man? Not is this the angel? Is this the being? Is this the, everybody say it with me, man who made the earth to tremble, who shook the kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness. I I could go on and on. You read the whole passage, it becomes very, very clear. He's talking about the king of Babylon and he's talking about the man. Now, if you don't believe, if you just... Erase from your map for a minute. If you just cover up and hide it and pretend like it doesn't exist, that there was a being named Lucifer in heaven, you just take that for granted. So when you read, O Lucifer, that's where your mind goes. But just forget about that for a minute. Forget that 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 you ever heard that. And let your mind reference something else, because I'll tell you what it's referencing. The word Lucifer there is the word the morning star. Everybody just say with me, the morning star. Or it's the Hebrew word for the planet Venus. So it is a proper noun, or it is a name, but it's a name for a planet. So what did Venus do? (laughs) Venus is the morning star and the evening star. And to the ancients, because it appeared at twilight, it was the brightest of the stars. And they would watch its movements in the heavens throughout the year, and they would notice that it would get closer to the sun and then descend down. So there's myth and story all over the world about a chief god who represents the sun, And a pantheon of gods who represent the stars or the planets, which is why all your planets are named after gods. And that Venus was the one that rebelled. So what Isaiah is saying is he's saying the king of Babylon was the brightest star. But just like Venus falls from heaven, the king of Babylon is falling. If that's true, saints, and he's not referring to an angel in heaven, which you, you have to impose that on the text. If that's true, there is no Luciferian rebellion taught in the Bible anywhere at all. That shatters a foundational piece of all of Christianity. Because if that does not exist... That is a huge game changer. Big time.
Now watch this. Watch what he says. See, we assume that God was jealous and angry because of what the king of Babylon was saying in his heart. But watch this. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Not above God himself. Doesn't it drive you nuts? We were taught that it was a rebellion against God, that he tried to overthrow God. But that's not what it says. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I'll be the brightest star shining. I'll be the best. But still submitted to God. Not above God, above the stars of God. Think of a family. I'm not, think of a traditional family structure where dad rules or whatever, you know what I'm saying, in a patriarchal family. Dad is the head of the household or whatever. And the kids, we're talking about a child who wants to stand out above his siblings, but has no interest in overthrowing the dad. You see it? But that's not what we're taught. And they use, they read this verse to teach it. And we miss it. You guys doing alright? I will ascend above, uh, I'm sorry, I also will sit on the mount of the congregation, the congregation being the pantheon, on the farthest sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. Now, here's a question, if Lucifer was an angel in heaven, then what's he doing ascending? If he was the chief Archangel, he's already above the stars of God. He's already in the congregation. But this is talking about a man who's trying to get there. This is talking about a man who's trying to do what? Ascend into the heavens, sit at the farthest sides of the north, exalt himself above the stars of God, Be like the Most High. That's his ambition. And the parable or the proverb is saying, this was your ambition, but this is your reality. Your reality doesn't match your ambition. What we do is place a value judgment on the ambition because we are taught so much bullshit about spiritual authority. that we have no category to understand the path of spiritual rebellion as being healthy, as being a pathway for liberation. There is no value judgment being placed here on what the guy wants. It's simply saying this is your ambition, this is your reality, and the two don't match. How do I know that? Come with me to Ephesians chapter 1. (laughs) Verse 3, blessed be the God, Ephesians 1 verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to his adoption, um, etc., etc. I'm going to move on down. Let's see. Um, hmm. 
Yeah, let's, let's do verse 15. Therefore, I also, after I heard your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches and the glorious inheritance of the saints. <laughs> and the, now watch this. And the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, watch, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all stars, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he's put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church who is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So what I'm here to tell you is that Jesus was a man (laughs) who aspired, who got killed because he said, I am like God. In fact, he even went so far as to say, I am God. They crucified him and God did what? God caused him to ascend above the clouds. Above the stars. He seated him at his own right hand at the farthest sides of the north in the congregation and said, if you want to know what I'm like, look at my son. Therefore, it was God's will to take the ambition Oh, this is going to mess you up. It was God's will to take the ambition that was inside the king of Babylon that we attach to the person of Lucifer and fulfill it in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on in Ephesians 2 and says, You who were dead in trespasses and sins, God has made alive together with Christ and raised you up and seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Then in the ages to come, he may show forth the riches of his grace and his kindness towards you in Christ. In other words, everything that we condemn or we say God condemned Lucifer for is everything that we're told in Scripture to aspire to. Am I wrong? So Jesus, go back and read the Gospel of John. I'm not going to take time to redo everything I did or go back and listen to last week's message. Jesus, in order... When Jesus said, I am, he's talking about his ego. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. And every time he did it, everything around him, everybody around him went nuts and crazy. Because the truth is that we are brought into the world. Now this, what most people refer to as the ego, is is the deceptive programming of the world that creates for you a false ego, a false sense of self. So we shouldn't try to get rid of ego altogether. What we need to do is be able to shed the false ego so that the true ego, the true self, can be liberated and come forth in power, come forth in brightness. In other words, Lucifer means light bearer. That's what the name in Hebrew means. Son of the morning, but it means light bearer. 
Are, and aren't you told to let your light shine? Every Sunday you go, people go to churches and they're trying to grow the church or whatever and they try to get every evangelism program on the planet. Let your light shine. Don't put your light under a bushel. Don't, don't be ashamed to let your, to let your light shine. That's exactly what Lucifer wanted to do was let his light shine. And what, and, and, and so in this left hand path of spiritual, is to liberate your light and let your light shine. But it shines at twilight, which means you do not, cannot, and ought not to judge the darkness that's in you as completely bad and try to get totally away from it because you miss the point of being human. All that does is cause you to suppress uh, parts of yourself which prevents you from being able to live that spontaneous life. Now, I'm not saying that you just let these crazy parts of you go crazy and ruin your life. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that you bring enough light to the darkness, that you balance the darkness in your life, and you bring enough darkness to the light in your life, that you balance the light in your life, and you live at twilight where your light can shine like Venus. And I want to suggest to you that that's what Jesus did. So Jesus is upsetting the religious authorities. He's not following the scriptures like he's supposed to be following the scriptures. According to scripture, the woman caught in adultery is to be stoned and killed. And Jesus puts a stop to it and disobeys the scripture when he doesn't put her to death. The scripture says, Thou shalt not speak evil of a ruler of thy people. And Jesus calls Herod a fox, which in that day was a pejorative term. He violated the scriptures. He went against the established authority. He went against his family. Everybody went crazy when his true self started manifesting because his his family didn't believe in him. We looked at last week. His brothers didn't believe in him. And what did the religious system say? You have a devil. In other words, they're identifying him with devil play and devil worship. Why? What paradigm were they coming out of? So what if today there are those who are on a path of self-liberation, who are letting their light shine, letting their true divinity, their true divine self out, but because it doesn't fit our paradigm, because we have a messed up paradigm with a scripture that has no basis or foundation in reality for some spiritual hierarchy that has nothing better to do than deceive you. Think about this. I mean, so so if we believe that there is a lake of fire created for the devil and his angels, what are they doing? They, they <laughs> just pretend for a minute that you're a demon. You're a fallen angel. You're smart. Supposed to be. That's what they tell you. Oh, they've been around forever. They're so much smarter than you. They're going to outwit you and deceive you. Am I wrong? So they're smart, right? You, you, you guys work DOC, right? So like hell is like prison for the, the demons, right? So this is like the picture. So imagine a convict going and getting sentenced to life in whatever prison, but we're going to give you five years till you have to report. What the heck is that guy going to do? Is he going to care about you? Is he going to use his freedom? Oh, I know. Oh, we, we've got the worst possible torment and torture coming. We've got this sentence state coming. I know what we'll do. We don't want to be lonely down there. Dude, you're going to add seg. Like you're going to be in your own torture chamber, according to this model. 
So again, you're worried about deceiving me. Like, don't you think those beings that have access to all the dimensions in the universe and whatever might have something better to do? Like, don't you think they might be thinking, I'd like to check out Jupiter, or I'd like to do... I mean, you know, besides, let's, 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 what can we do to deceive 95% of humanity and take them to hell? Not only that, but we supposedly believe in a God that judges you according to your works. So I'm going away for all eternity, and where I get sent depends on how bad my crime is, so I'm going to go out and commit more crime while I have the opportunity. (laughs) Does that make one bit of sense? But here's what I'm saying. So what if our religious perceptions and paradigms are so messed up that we are judging the dark, that we are the ones actually calling the light darkness and darkness light. That we are the ones actually that are misjudging practices and people and situations and calling things, and I'm speaking to Christians right now, calling things as of the devil that aren't of the devil, but are actually promoting the self-liberation and release of the light, of, of, of the divine light, of the light of God, of the true essence, of the being. And I'm going to tell you right now, you cannot release your true essence if you're not willing to rebel against the conditioning and the authority that put you in bondage in the first place. If you're not willing to take a stand for yourself and for your authenticity against the the principalities and powers which are not evil beings that rule in the heavens, they are the mind control systems of governments and politics and religion and family and culture and race and all these things that tell you this is who you are, this is how we act, this is how this is how the Scotch Irish are, this is how uh, a Tomlinson acts in the family. This this is what a Christian is. This is the rules that we live by. This is where you shave off yourself. This is how we do it. This is how we've always done it. We need you to fit in here. We need you to fit into our mold. All the world's a stage. I'm the star player. And you just show up every once in a while, so you better play your role. Corporations want to profit off of you. Religions want to control you. Politicians want your vote. And everybody's telling you how you're supposed to be. This is what a good person looks like. This is what a good American looks like. This is what a, this is what you, this, if you believe like us, you're in the in crowd. If you don't believe like us, you're the enemy. And so what do you do? You suppress, suppress, suppress. You shave off your integrity. You shave off your authenticity. You become in bondage to people's opinions and judgments. End up people pleasing at certain levels so that you can be miserable and they can be happy. It's just the, it's, it's, it's just an exchange. But then there are those, I think, that hear something, that there's just something deep inside. You ever felt like there was just something deep inside you that wanted to break free? You ever felt like there was just something deep inside you that just wanted to burst forth? Why are movies like, I mean, I know I'm going back, showing my age, whatever, I haven't kept up with movies. Why are movies like Braveheart so popular? Because there's something inside us that says we're going to go against the grain. We're going to swim upstream. We're going to rebel against the status quo. We're going to go against the normal because there's, there's a divine spark. There's an inspiration. There, there's something deep inside our soul, deep inside the human spirit that wants to burst forth like light 
and say, I am going to be free. But I'm going to tell you it takes the path of the spiritual rebel. And I want to tell you that Jesus died on a cross because uh, that we have missed it. That, that, that the light of the gospel, the light of the cross, the light of the message of Jesus is the light of the path of the spiritual rebel. Because in Roman cultures, it was only the rebels who were crucified. It was only those who were seditious. It was only those who were against the state. And he was crucified. He was, he, he, he upset religion because he said, I don't have to follow your rules. Why don't you have to follow our rules? Because I and the Father are one. Because I am the bread of life. Because I am the way. They picked up stones to kill him in John's Gospel and he said, For which of the good works do you kill me? And he says, For none of the good works, but because you being a man make yourself out to be God. And when he would not back off of that, they turned him over to the Romans to be crucified for blasphemy. (sighs) Then what happens? He goes and stands before Pilate and they crucify him. And what do they put on his cross at the top? King of the Jews. In other words, you you are trying to exalt your throne. You are rebelling against authority. And yet, Jesus was so committed to His own I am that He would not sacrifice it even in the face of death. And maybe that's the saving power of the cross. Maybe the saving power of the cross has absolutely nothing to do with appeasing an angry God who needs blood to be able to feel better about you. That's into cosmic child abuse. I'm angry, so I'm going to beat my son and kill my son so that I can feel better about you. Some of you never even heard that, but I'm telling you that's the foundation of Western Christianity since the 1200s. Maybe that has nothing to do with it. Maybe the saving power of the cross is to show you that, that, that the pain, the pain of crucifying that false self so that the true self can come forth and ascend and shine. The, 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 the process of spiritual liberation is a process of rejecting that which makes you less than you are in favor of your own Freedom and self-expression bursting forth. That I am going to hold to I am more than my religious paradigm. I'm going to hold to I am more than my religious loyalties. I'm going to hold to I am more than I'm going to hold to my friends. I'm going to hold to I am more than I am my family loyalties. I'm going to hold to I am more than to whether I am Democrat or Republican or even an American. And maybe there's something in the Bible that says that the power of that liberation is what's possible. Maybe that's what the saving effect is. It's going to save the real you, the deepest you, the truest you, the most spontaneous you, the highest you, the most authentic you to burst forth. And in the process, people will hate you, people will reject you, people will try to control you, people will want to silence you, people will want to put you back in your box. People will want to make sure you're playing your role for them on their stage of life. And I'm going to tell you something, there's something so powerful that when you've tasted that freedom, 
when you've tasted that glory, there's something that's so powerful that when you are fully able to release that wellspring of water, spiritual living water on the inside of you, when it finally comes forth and you drink from it, you have no more use for getting your satis- you're getting your own satisfaction, watch this, getting your own satisfaction, self-esteem, or stability in life from other people playing the role you think they're supposed to play on the stage of your life. You become so fulfilled and satisfied that you allow people the freedom to be on their own path without feeling the need to fix them or control them in order for your life to be good. I don't need my spouse to behave in order to be good or feel good and have a happy life. I don't need my kids to behave. I don't need the government to behave. I don't need religion to agree with me. Because I'm free. And when you taste that freedom, you want to give that freedom to other people. So what is the last statement about who Jesus is in your Bible? Let's just look at that and that's where we'll close. Revelations. Last book. Triggering a lot of things. Revelation 22, verse 16. The last thing Jesus has to say about himself in our Bibles. I, in the Greek it's the word ego. I, Jesus, even after his death, he's got a sense of self. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. Watch this. I am the root and offspring of David. That's talking about his humanity, the offspring of David. Watch this. The bright and morning star. In Latin... In the Vulgate, in Isaiah 14, it says, O Lucifer, how thou art fallen. In the Vulgate, Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David, and I am Lucifer. I am Venus. I am the bright and morning star. I am the fulfillment of all the ambition of the king of Babylon. And that's the last thing he says about himself. Let that sink in for a while. Namaste. God bless you.